0: Welcome to Real Talk, Real Women, Breaking the Silence Around Abuse. I am Gemma Serenity Gorokov, your host, and today we have the privilege of delving into the life and experiences of an extraordinary individual. Joining us is Frances Helena, a remarkable woman whose journey has spanned across hemispheres, leaving an indelible mark on various creative and empowering endeavors. Hailing from the Southern Hemisphere and now residing in the Northern Hemisphere, Frances Helena's path has been one of geographical and personal exploration. Notably recognized as a distinguished fashion designer, her artistic flair is matched only by her literary prowess. With two impactful books, Me Too But Never Again and Thinking Out Loud, She has fearlessly tackled important societal conversations, amplifying voices, and advocating for change. Frances Helena's achievements extend far beyond the pages of her books. Her influence resonates globally as she graces podcasts, summits, and literary works with her profound insights. Furthermore, her fashion brand stands as a testament to her versatility and innovation, having captured the attention of audiences around the world. But Frances Helena's talents don't stop there. She's also an avid travel photographer and writer, weaving captivating stories through the, her lens and pen. Her travel chronicles have found a poem on Pink Pangaea, a premier online travel publication dedicated to women's experiences. Dear listeners, get ready to be inspired as we engage in a candid conversation with Frances Helena. From her creative ventures to her empowering words, her journey promises to uplift, educate and foster change. Stay tuned as we uncover the layers of a true visionary who continues to shape narratives, break barriers and paves the way for a brighter, more inclusive world. Welcome, Frances. Thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate
1: you. Hello, bonjour. Thank you so much for having me and I hope you're well and everyone else as well who's watching. Thank you.
0: No says my first question for you. As we are on Real Talk, Real Women Breaking the Silence Around Abuse and we understand that you have traveled quite a lot so you have quite an extensive experience. What kind of abuse did you overcome in your life
1: I think the biggest thing for me so we have lived and traveled all over the world and I think the thing that people need to understand is that abuse no matter where you are or what country you're in it can happen to anybody anywhere, anytime, it doesn't matter what age. So when I was 16 years old, I was actually visiting um, a family member um, overseas. I would go to like to visit the family member quite often uh, for vacation and things like that, school vacation. And so I happen to be, I guess for me, I'm very trusting, very, um, you know, when I meet people, I'm just happy to go off with them and you know that was always kind of my nature so I had met some people at a theme park so we were actually uh visiting in Malaysia and so we happened to meet these two guys so I was I wasn't 16 at the time um and so I think it was like yeah we met at the theme park and I think they were lifeguards so they were um 20 and 21. Um, I was with a friend so it was the first time I took her overseas. She never traveled and we met these people and you know we spent a few days with them because everybody comes to the theme park. It's like a public area. Everybody goes there and I guess it, you know I thought oh yeah well the person's cute and all this sort of thing um, and you know we spent quite a bit of time together. Like we would be at the theme park quite often because it was you know, the weekend or the weekday, people just go there. And, you know, after a few days, you know, we got to know um, these people and everything. And so one of them was particularly like fond of me and everything like that. So they were at the time, I believe, 20 from what I remember. And so one day we would actually go, we went to, they took us out for dinner. So and then on the way home for dinner, um, like the car ride back. So I'm sitting in the back of the car now and my friend's at the front. And so what happened was um, they actually uh, sexually assaulted me. So I had never, um, you know, had never experienced anything like this at all. And so we were basically in the um, back of the car and the car's moving. So it's still moving. It's I think we're maybe like. 30 minutes across town or something like that. And so, you know, obviously I didn't really understand, you know, what was happening because I was only like 15. So it was basically we were in the back of the car and they were trying to like push me down. And so I'm, I'm like fighting this person in the back of the car. And you know, we were just going, I think this must have been maybe like 10, 15 minutes or so. And so, you know, they had, they were touching me and all different sorts of places. They even put their hands down my pants and like, it actually hurt, you know, that sort of thing. And I think when you're in that sort of, um, you know, moment, you, you're not really thinking about you know, what to say, whether to scream out or whether to, you know, actually call for help. Because I looked in the, um, to the front of the mirror. And so the person driving could actually see me in the, in their rear view mirror. So they looked at me and I think me trying to look at them was hoping that they were actually going to help. But in that case, they didn't, you know, they just kept driving. So they saw what was happening in the back of the car and i don't think my friend even noticed and i didn't really know how to i think express it or verbally say things to her because the guy was you know um basically saying oh be quiet or he was like trying to cover my mouth and all this sort of thing so you know we were in this car and it just keeps moving, and. You know, he he. When he put his fingers inside me, it, it really hurt. Like I felt like a lot of pain, and even um, you know, just him just biting me and things like that. It just it was just like so much pain. By the time I got home, because um, we actually every apartment um, has a has a main gatehouse, so you can't enter unless you unless you live there. So the car had to stop at the gatehouse, and so. By the time I get back to my, uh, back back to where we were living, um, I noticed like there was blood like everywhere and all this sort of thing. So it was that sort of thing. And then, you know, coming from a, an Eastern culture, we had never really, we never really had that kind of discussion. When I went to school in the West, you know, we had those conversations at school, like uh, if someone does something bad to you. You know, this is what you should do. This is how you should respond. But unfortunately, in the East, it's not regarded as the social norm to talk about your feelings or to talk about bad things because it brings, you know, shame on the family. It brings, um, you know, uh, you can get disowned, things like that. But you know, uh, growing up, I've realized that it's okay to have these feelings. It's okay to say something about it because there's nothing wrong that you've done it's somebody else that and you can't control how other people behave towards you and so you know after that it was sort of like you know I was still processing it in my mind like because I was only I hadn't turned 16 yet it wasn't until a few days I think after I turned 16 um you know I was just I guess it was just one of those things where I just really just was like, oh, well, like, that's it. Like, what do you, you know, you just keep going. And, you know, we never really had that conversation because, um, unfortunately, one of my parents, um, they were seeing somebody else at the time. So um, they were still married to um, my other parent. And so it wasn't exactly that kind of... um, I guess, approachable scene that I could actually be like, well, this is what happened. So that was that sort of thing. And then it wasn't until a few days later, I think I got a, um, I was getting my hair braided as as a birthday present. But I ended up meeting somebody else through this person. So it was one of their relatives. And it turned out that this person was 36 years old. So I was now 16 and this person just became kind of um, obsessed with me. Like they wouldn't let me go anywhere and all this sort of thing, but we would go to, we would go to the shop. So it was basically, we went to, you know, it's a public place, shopping mall. So it's me, this person, my friend, and this person had brought their niece. And so, you know, we would hang out at the shopping mall or we would go to other places and everything. But it turned out this person, they wanted, you know, a little bit more like they wanted to get married and things, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, at 16, you don't you don't really know anything about all this sort of thing. So you're kind of just going. I think for me, I was going along with it all. Um, And because I didn't because from the last experience that I had. I just wasn't, I just wasn't sure of the person, like what they would do to me if I said something, all that sort of thing. But this person, it was for about maybe, I think it was almost a year. So I went back to, because um, I was on vacation there. So I went back to where I was living, which was um, in Australia. And so this person had kept in touch with me. Actually, both of the people kept in touch with me. And so... The The older one just became really, like, obsessed, and he started sending pictures and things like that, and, you know, I think, um, yeah, it was just stuff you, you don't really process when you're 16, so it wasn't until, I guess, years later in life that I realized I actually was dating, like, a, a pedophile, you know, who... You know who said, and he always said to me, "Oh, no matter where you are, I'm gonna, I'm going to find you." All this sort of thing. And you know, since then, I had never. Both of those people had never been, had never been charged. So I didn't actually know, even to this day, know how to even process all of that. You know, being 15 and 16, I was just like, well, you know, I know now that what they did was wrong. But how do I, because we're in a different country, how do I actually stop that and actually process, you know, that information to somebody who's actually going to listen? Because it's very different in Eastern cultures to Western cultures. You know, people in Western cultures, they'll say, yeah, you know, you voice it, speak about it, you know, to create an awareness to stop it from happening. But in the East, it's just not like that. So you're never you're never not sure who to talk to or who to turn to. So, yeah, that was uh, one of my early experiences um, of being abused. And then as I got older, um, I think when I started like university, I must have been about 20. I got into um, relationships with people who I guess are from different cultures um, and one of those cultures, uh, domestic violence is pretty high. So it's about 67% high in that particular culture. And, um, you know, I didn't really know much about um, being with this person or m- much about being uh, a part of their culture and what was um, actually in their culture and things like that. But we would always get into arguments and, um, And sometimes, you know, they would get really jealous of things because, I mean, we were only 20, 21. So it was things like that. And so we would basically just, I guess, have moments where it get really heated that we end up in a big fight and sometimes they would just drag me out of the room, like, you know, trying to get me out of the house or something like that. But we would also, and I think for me, having experienced that I think that also um affected me in some way where I would react to it so I would actually hit that person too so it's not and it's not they say it's not good to hit other people (laughs) and you shouldn't hit other people right but I think just from being with that person you you have like uh some of their habits you you actually pick up so and I think that was a big thing for me because I think I don't know if it was because both of us were kind of doing it to each other or something like that or it was just a an effect like that spiral effect that you get so yeah that that was that was a few other experiences but other experiences um like I've also been uh raped by um someone that I was close to when I was living um in, in New Zealand. So I was close to um, these two these two people so we work on the strawberry farm and then you know we would one day this particular day we ended up celebrating one of the people's birthdays. And so it wasn't until, and I live far away. So from where I was living, it was about 30 minutes back to my place. So I just stayed at this person's um, house. So these both of these people live together. So one of them's really good. And I don't know if that person ever knew about it, but the other person, so I was actually sleeping and then I could feel this person on top of me. Like I could just feel them. I, I was, you know, at the time I was, 24. So it was things like that. And, um, you know, I had told them no, but they still wanted to wanted to do that. And then I found out that they also had um, a, you know, somebody back home, and they also had a child as well. So, you know, it was just that sort of thing, because I thought the person liked me. But in reality, the person just wanted to, you know, um, have a bit of fun and do that while they were you know overseas so those are the kind of experiences um, that I've had and I think you know the biggest thing for me is that now that I'm I'm now 32 so the biggest thing for me is I try to if I see young people doing, certain things, you know, I just make sure if they're okay, or, you know, I always try to express to them that, you know, if there's something wrong, you know, actually voice it, don't just say that, don't just put up with it, like I did, you know, it's okay to say something, you know, it doesn't make you a bad person, it doesn't make you, you know, feel, um, sh- make you, it shouldn't make you feel any less of a person than, you know, you are, because, you know, everybody, goes through something and it's it's okay to feel a certain way about it. But the most important thing is to actually speak about it so we can stop it from happening to the next person.
0: <clears throat> wow. Yeah. So in terms of sexual abuse, you got quite a few experiences, undesirable consequences as well, because that has definitely Got a huge toll on your self confidence, development, self worth, because you had to process all of that, but you did not have any help to process it. Because it was elsewhere and it was with other culture and other people and not the right environment. And it was like, okay, and now what? And you had no answer to that, really trying to just, okay, so let's change people. But then it happens again and it's like, I don't get it. Why? And I understand that this is traumatic. And sadly so, you are not the only one who experienced that. So understanding that you did not have the help around you to process these thoughts and these experiences and and these trauma. How did you actually connect to your own power so that you may understand that, yes, you can speak up. Yes, when you speak up, it actually disempower the abuse over you and, and it empowers you to be who you truly are safely. What was that that shift,
1: that, that becoming aware moment? I think... I think for me, it took me a very long time because, you know, some people had told me, like close friends said, you need to go to counselling. And the issue with counselling, I think, in my personal opinion, is that if you go to traditional counselling, it, it'll sort of say things like, how does that make you feel? And, and, you know, it's kind of like, well, I've just told you how I feel. So <laughs> it, it's sort of that other thing. But I think the biggest thing for me was um, last year I became a part of a community. It's called She Rises, um, who are based in the U.S. And so they are basically a group of women who allow you to write your own story um, in, in a book. And so there was about 10 of us who wrote in this book, which is called Me Too But Never Again, which was to basically advocate for sexual abuse, uh, human trafficking, domestic violence. But everybody, uh, we're all from different backgrounds. We've all never met, but everybody has a story. And um, you can find this book on Amazon. Um, It's also an ebook and paperback. But these women, including myself, you know, for that such a long period of time, we didn't really know how to process it. I know some of the women got counseling and then some of them had spoken out about, you know, what had happened to them. And, you know, they were all different ages from like kids younger than 15 to, you know, even older. And so some of these women now they're married to people who, Um, who understand, who have actually helped them, you know, become better people for themselves. And so I think for me, that really had helped me to actually sort of understand that, you know, you, there are people out there who have that same experience, who have, you know, have that knowledge of where you can get help, you know, instead of just staying quiet about it, instead of just, saying, oh, well, you know, it's, it's okay. But in reality, it's not okay, regardless if you're um, a woman or a man or a child or LGBTQ, you know, it's not okay for somebody to do that to you. And so us writing um, a chapter each, I think each of us wrote maybe 1200 words as a chapter. So we had put it out there, but we weren't sure what people were going to think about it because it was such a personal story, and some of it had never been um, told. And I think even one of the chapters had a had an actual court case that we couldn't actually add into the book, just because um, you know of the uh, what do you call it the not policies, but just because it's been uh, public because of the proceeding
0: and all yeah. of that. So it was not finished yet. It was not yeah. free to publish yet.
1: Yes, that's right. So, you know, and it was a, I think it was a really big step because a lot of us had never expressed it. And we were sort of just, I guess, a bit worried. But then it turns out the book actually became um an international bestseller in four different countries. So that was uh, across the UK, Canada, Australia, and the US. And it became number one in about I think 15 different categories. So um, categories such as um, uh, child abuse, uh, sociology. So it was really, you know, it was really surprising for us because it, we just weren't sure. But I think another thing for me was that I also uh, a few months ago went to kinesiology. And if people don't know what that is, it's basically about, uh, it's more like a, a chakra and about tuning into your emotions and things like that. So it was definitely, um, it was definitely interesting. And, you know, I think for me personally, just still have a little bit more work to do because I was dating somebody and then I realized, you know, I was projecting all that hurt that I had onto that person when, you know there was actually nothing wrong with that person at all like they were really good to me but i didn't know how to process someone being good to me because i never had that uh sort of experience so you know it's been it's been pretty hard in that regard but you know i think i'm still growing as a person trying to realize that not everybody you date or meet is actually a bad person
0: Yes, that's a big realization when you have been beaten, put down, raped, sexually abused, sexually assaulted by people who were supposed to be on your side, supposed to protect you, supposed to invite you and to, and to live by your side, protecting you, and they actually did not, and they actually abused you. That becomes extremely difficult to actually process that so that you can have a healthy relationship. And some, I mean, personally, I am victorious over 15 years of domestic violence as well, with two different stories. And I was also raped, but not by my boyfriend or husband or anybody, by my father in law. It's like, okay. The the summum of the protector, patriarch, who should protect you and the entire family. And that one chose for 18 months to try to have sex with me. And I was strong enough for 18 months to say no until the trap worked. And I could not push him away any longer. It was impossible. I was blocked. And it's just two months after that, and I was 10 years in the second relationship, that I actually broke everything. And And I left home. I left my husband. I left my children. I left everything behind. And I just fled away with the grace of God. And from that moment on, I was able to meet a good man, an amazing, soft, loving, respectful, helping man. And starting by helping me, several months later, after helping me day in, day out, altruistically, no interest, then several months later, we started to look at each other, hey, are we more than just brother and sister? Yeah. And then I obviously, like you, freaked out. Because then I was there, uh, if we say yes, that means couple, that means ah. And all my uh, all my trauma came back on and say, my gosh, if we become a couple, you're going to become mean to me. I, I cannot do that. I want to keep you loving. I don't want to have you become mean as all husbands do know <laughs> that kind of belief which is wrong, but it's based on trauma. And he was aware trauma informed enough to actually change the narrative and telling me the kind of couple I'm thinking to be with you is a couple of love and respect. It's not that kind of domestic violence that you experienced. As a matter of fact, I stand against violence that is done against women. Okay, so I dared, and I was so right to dare, but it was super hard at that starting point. And that was 10 years ago. We are 10 years in our love relationship. And he's the one who healed me and empowered me enough to actually be able to create real talk, real women, breaking the silence around abuse, because so many women and men out there need to hear that kind of story in order to feel, first of all, you are not alone, and then to hear, hey, there are solutions, we can get out of that cycle, hey, we are not going to be abused all our lives, that too shall pass, but for that we need to do the inner work, right? That's amazing. So Frances, tell me, or tell us, tell us about your business. What can people get from you and buy from you because you are still an amazing woman, professional, you talk about fashion?
1: <laughs> yeah, so we are called uh, Beautifully Diverse Fashion. And so it's based off uh, me having lived and traveled all over the world. So... Um, I was living in Australia, so I'm actually currently um, in the USA right now. So we've got Fashion Week next month, um, and we've actually been invited to compete for a cash prize. And so we—it's only been about a year, but we've been back at New York Fashion Week back in February. Um, we've been asked for London Fashion Week, Paris, Cannes, uh, Jamaica, Dubai, Hong Kong. But we base it basically based off encouraging people to meet other people that they've never ever met before in their lives and it's basically it's called beautifully diverse because we base it off people um uh, beautiful in all different shapes and sizes regardless of their gender regardless of their sexual orientation or religion and we like to say that anybody can be a model regardless of their experience or um the experience that they've never had so one of us so half of our group for the first show so we had people like um victoria henley who was from america's next top model so she found us and she she's just just a great person i love her she's great and then we have um uh brandon barroso so his wife is miss universe aruba 2020 Um, So he's also a professional model. And then we have Emily Mija. So she um, is LGBTQ and she actually opened for us. But Emily and Brandon, they're from the same uh, modeling agency. So from that agency, we've expanded our network and we've been working with them. So they gave us a couple of their photographers. And so... These photographers, they're lovely. They're um, both best friends, but they are over the age of 60. Um, and so we have a now, after that, we've had people who had never, ever walked runway. A friend of mine, she was also a domestic violence victim. So she used to live in Australia, but she's actually from Ghana. So she flew from Ghana. And basically, her family didn't uh, speak to her. Um, the kid, you know, the partner took the kids away and all that. And so it wasn't until after she did this achievement, so she'd never walked at all. She actually ended up getting voted favorite look by the production. So, and for her, that was a big thing because, you know, where she comes from, they basically had stopped talking to her because she was actually advocating for domestic violence she actually needed stitches to the head she was beaten like all over and everything and so because of that um, result she now speaks to her um, her children well well her children speak to her and that was um, one of the biggest achievements for her because she was like you know she's regardless of what happens she's a she's a mother and you know she loves her kids so and yeah, now basically they've got this relationship, which is great. And then we've had other people. One of the girls flew in from Ohio. She's a single mother. Um, she's 32, single mother of one. He's a 12-year-old. She'd never walked runway. And now she she's also a published author. So she, you know, everybody's, from what I've been told, everybody's lives have changed. Even one of the other boys, Um, he'd never walked. Uh, Anthony Knight, you'll see he's a, You'll see him on instagram he's also verified but he's uh now becoming a big um movie star in the states and things like that so and we've had people for that show from ages 18 to 64 and then when we did the second show which was in philadelphia for black history month we ended up lowering the age we got 13 years old so um and you know in america Legally, everything is 21, so we get the parents involved. We talk to them, and, you know, it's not just about them bringing their kid to the show. We actually get everybody involved and get their opinion. So we even allow the models to, because everybody um, is volunteers, so we allow them to um, basically choose from the collection, and they style it up, so we let them have fun rather than just, getting them to walk up and down but we're also um a re uh, recycled brand as well so basically i take things from the thrift store and i sew them and we basically just recreate them into new things that you can still wear so that way we also reduce um production waste so things like this this is a, a little hair scrunchie so it was just fabric that i kept from like years ago and so we just turned it into that, and we make bags, uh, hair scrunchies, hair bonnets. Um, yeah, pretty much, pretty much anything. And then we also um, produce shoes as well.
0: Fascinating. That's truly amazing. See, now you take all this awful experience and you turn it into a power to be good and to do good for others, so that you may inspire. Inspired to overcome that first, like I have never walked a runway, I don't even know how that works. But you know what? Let's do it and let's have fun and let's try with all that inclusion, diversity, um, like such a variety of people and experience. That is truly amazing. Congratulations for that.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting experience, you know, because especially in New York, you know, a lot of people, they've been in the industry for a long time. So it's interesting just hearing and it is competitive so you know but for me it was never about the the competition it was about to you know do something different and I spent a lot of time researching when I got selected for uh, New York Fashion Week and coming from Australia it was just like well I don't I I've heard of New York Fashion Week but I didn't know enough about it so I wanted to have a look and see what was out there and what was being put out there and then a lot of it is also based off Um, some of my modeling experiences in Australia where they would say everybody can apply but you get to the event and that's not the case so we really wanted to make something that was really about everybody can apply everybody can try and do something new and you know try to expand their horizons whether it's in fashion or uh, writing books you know whatever they want to do you know we that there's nothing that's stopping them from achieving whatever they want to achieve. So,
0: Fantastic. All right. How can people reach out to you? I have Instagram. Is that right?
1: Yes, I've got Instagram. It's the – so I have a personal account, which is – um called the Francis Helena or we have beautifully diverse fashion that's also on Instagram and Facebook and then a lot of the I have a few other accounts as well but most of them all say um Francis Helena it'll be like something about writing or uh travel so it'll be things like that so it's still Francis Helena and yeah you can find me on Instagram or Facebook and I think LinkedIn as well and probably Twitter Okay, so what we do is that we're going to
0: list out all your links on your speaker page to make sure that, first of all, we keep them up to date, meaning that in a few years from now, if you are changing your links for whatever reason, you let me know and I update that in your description so that any time from now when someone wants to reach out to you, because that episode will keep on running and keep on being listened time and time and time again, they can actually reach out to you. So that's super, super important. All right? No worries. That sounds good. (laughs) That's gorgeous. Thank you so much, Frances, to really join us today. Appreciate you. Thank you for being a voice for change, for acknowledging, for breaking the silence and really show, yes, you too can thrive.
1: No worries. Thank you. Merci beaucoup. Ah,
0: It's my pleasure. Thank you so, so much.